I'm Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, I started watching a new show on Netflix this week that's an early contender for one of my favorite shows of 2019. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. True Detective is back, but is it back on track? We'll dive right into the first two episodes. First, it's the news... From the couch... Ghosts. Hello, Ghostbusters. They're real. You do? They're mean. You have? They're here. The city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportions. Real wrath of God type stuff. Fire and brimstone coming down from the sky. Earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. That's hysteria. Ivan Reitman is passing the Ghostbusters torch to his son. Four-time Oscar nominee Jason Reitman set to direct the new installment in the Ghostbusters series for Sony. Set to come out in the summer of 2020. Reitman tweeted Tuesday night, he's finally got the keys to the car. Ivan Reitman directed and produced the original Ghostbusters, which came out in 84. It had a less than stellar sequel in 89. Studio says this new Ghostbusters will be going back to its roots. It will be the next chapter in the original story. There was a little teaser already this week that just showed some glowing night coming from a barn, and inside the barn was the Ghostbusters car, Ecto-1. Sony tried to reboot Ghostbusters in 2016 with gender-flipped leads. The costly film disappointed a bit at the box office. I liked it. That was a fun movie. Production on the new one begins this summer. No word yet on the cast. Hey, where do these stairs go? They go up. Okay, so the day before this teaser was released. Uh I heard that Jason Reitman was planning to do one, and I was skeptical when I heard that they were making another one. I thought, oh, geez, we just went through this. But then I watched the teaser, and I got to admit, when I heard this musical cue... And seeing Ecto-1 underneath that tarp that's flapping in the wind, I got excited. Why is it on a farm? I don't know. We're going to have to find out. First question, what, a farm? Why is it a barn? And I'm excited, I think, because it's continuing the story from the original films. You know, I I didn't care for the reboot idea. Not because it had women. Hashtag Brett, Yeah, The women were great. I just didn't think a reboot was necessary. And as it turns out, it it wasn't. I mean, I didn't like it. it. I I thought there was just way too much CG. I didn't think it was funny. Uh, So I'm hoping this new one doesn't go too heavy on the CG either. Because I felt like the effects in the original movie were just bad better than the new one. They were spookier. They were much spookier. It was a much scarier movie, that first one. Uh, my girlfriend's kids and I watched the new one recently, and they said, isn't there another one? And I was like, yeah, but you're 8 and 11. I was the 8-year-old. I was like, you're too young for that. So, Oh, wow. Sorry. Okay. I had nightmares for months after that first one. So, <laughs> Well, you still... Yeah, there, yeah. Aren't there still parts There's, of that movie you can't watch? When the when the, the dog arms come out the chair and grab Sigourney Weaver, I can't watch it. That's a scary scene. Yeah, I, I will admit that when I was a kid, that one really got me too. So, hey, I'm excited for this. Uh, never say never, I suppose, in terms of throwing something away, disposing of something. If it's in, it's in the family, right? Yep. It's his son. So. Exactly. Okay. All right. One of the greatest action franchise of all time will also be back big time. How many times has Hunt's government betrayed him, disavowed him, cast him aside? How long before a man like that has had enough? Light diffuse. It's never enough. Mission Impossible Fallout, the sixth in the Tom Cruise spy franchise, was my favorite movie last year. It was the most successful of the series, banking nearly $800 million, so no surprise that they're going to make another one. Bit of a surprise that they're going to make another two back-to-back. This is a bad idea. Is it ever a good one? Honestly. 
Christopher McQuarrie, who has helmed the last two movies, will be back for both 7 and 8, both to be released in the summers of 21 and 22. They'll film them back-to-back, like I said, which makes sense because Cruz turns 57 this year. And as magical as he seems to be physically, it simply can't last forever. Mission accomplished! Do you think maybe that's why they've signed to do these two back to back? Because Cruz knows that this this uh, well is going to run dry yeah. soon. Yeah, and it's such a it's such a successful well. They want to milk it as much as they possibly can. But yeah, I, I would think doing two back to back has got to be the smartest move. Uh, uh, Matt LeBlanc in that series episodes, yep. there's a line of dialogue that he he says it's a piece of advice that he gives his buddies. He says, "Make the money," as in <laughs> make it while you can make it, well, yeah. because the opportunity is not going to be there forever. That's why there are five rock movies every year. Yeah, he's making the money. He's he's building up that bank account. And good for him and good for Cruz. I'm looking forward to them because yeah. those movies just keep getting better. Absolutely. And there was a surprise teaser trailer reveal this week from Sony and Marvel. I just want to spend some time with MJ. I think she really likes me, dude. That reminds me when I first fell in love. I had just finished my food call. So nice to finally meet you. Spider-Man. Spider-Man, far from home. Granted, the movie has had a July 5th release date for a long time now, but he did die in Avengers Infinity War. While no one expects him to stay dead, still weird they reveal this trailer before Avengers Endgame goes in theaters. I think. Isn't it weird? Unless the events in this movie took place before Avengers Infinity War, which we don't know yet. And in this movie, Peter Parker is on a school vacation in Europe where he's just trying to be a kid on vacation, but superhero stuff. I think Nick Fury just hijacked our summer vacation. Awesome! We've got gifts, Parker, but we have a job to do. Are you going to step up or not? Nick Fury also died in Avengers Infinity War. Hydro Man is the big bad in this. He's a man who can turn into a big water monster. And along comes another Spider-Man character. Jake Gyllenhaal is Mysterio. You don't want any part of this. Couple of things. In comes Mysterio. He's a bad guy. But in this trailer, he appears to be a good guy who fights Hydro Man. But is he a good guy? Second thing, Jake Gyllenhaal was once attached to be Spider-Man in Spider-Man 2, if Tobey Maguire backed out. So he finally got into a Spider-Man movie after all. Mysterio, by the way, described by one of the students as being Iron Man and Thor combined. He has a fancy armor-looking suit, a cape, can either fly or he flies around on something. Shoots green beams out of his hands. Might even throw some Doctor Strange in there in terms of what he's mixed up with. Also, I love what they did with the music in the trailer. So, what do you think of this, Spider-Man Far From Home? Uh, I really like Spider-Man Far From Home. I love, love that first one, Homecoming. Are they all going to be home movies? I know. What's the next yeah. one going to be? Home, uh, home Run? <laughs> Spider-Man Home Alone? I, I'm, not, I'm mixed on Jake Gyllenhaal, so I really have... I'm skeptical about that. And I, I, I wish they would just put that fishbowl helmet on him. 
That's a, that's Mysterio supposed to have well, that he, glass he, head. Well, it popped up at the at the Did end. It? Yeah, Did when I he missed that. There's because when he first appears, he says you don't want any part of this, as he says. And then yeah. when he flies up to fight Hydro Man, oh, it's a force the, field. The, yeah, the beam. The, the, it's like a energy like, beam. That's right. It's an energy field that appeared around his head. Okay. So that looked kind of cool. I admit he looked cool, and I'm curious to know what's he doing as a bad guy. What's his agenda? Is he or pardon me, appearing as a good guy? Yeah, yeah. Is he secretly in working with Hydro? Man to topple Spider-Man, or I don't know what they're trying to do, but it looks cool. It does. And uh, yeah, I was excited when they released it, and again, obviously no one expects half of the Marvel Universe to remain dead. No. Especially no. when they've got already a Black Panther sequel on coming, and I think a Doctor Strange sequel. So yeah, we're going to see them all again for sure. No one ever dies in these comic book things for real, come on. Yeah. Hey, up next, we're going to tell you about another trailer that I'm sure... Jeff Braun is so excited for Keanu Reeves riding a horse down the street. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry, Jeff Braun, we are The Couch Potatoes. And just to take you behind the curtains here, we record this show on Thursday afternoon. And as we were doing the last segment, while a clip was playing, (laughs) Jeff pulls up his phone and shows it to me as he's pumping his fist and making all kinds of funny faces. What was the news you just found? The first trailer is out for John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum. Do you expect him to make it out? A $14 million bounty on his head. Everyone in the city wants a piece of it. I say the odds are about even. Dark, five seconds. John Wick, excommunicado, in effect, in three, two, one. And away we go. Keanu is back. As the world's baddest assassin, this time on the run from all the other assassins. Looks like he's heading to Asia to try to hide, but he ends up getting in a big fight and the bullets start spraying. Ian McShane, Lawrence Fishburne, Lance Reddick are all back from the previous movies. And there's a few newbies as well, including Angelica Houston and Halle Berry. Sophia, we're not going in like the old days. Just a conversation. Nothing's ever just a conversation with you, John. So this comes out May 17th. Yes. We had to look up what parabellum means. It's Latin for prepare for war. Which is what these movies are all about. And in the trailer, it says to achieve peace, sometimes you need to prepare for war. For first of all, the the way that the the genesis of how you have become such a big fan of John Wick is is interesting because the first one came out in 2014. Yep. And it was one of my favorite films. Yeah. Of that year, and I wouldn't watch it because Keanu's in it. That's right. I'm sure that's what it was. But then the second one came out in 2017. Isn't that when you finally ended up watching the first one? Yeah, the, the, it was the weekend that number two came out, and number one was on Netflix. So I was just like, okay, let's see what the let's see what the fuss is all about because everyone was going nuts about the second one. So I watched the first one, yeah, and I uh, like finished it and turned it off and looked up. Well, when can I go see the second one? And less than twelve hours later, I was in the theater watching the second one. And did you see it twice that weekend? No, I saw it the next weekend again with a <laughs> buddy of mine that had wanted to see it as well. <laughs> and I've watched, I've watched the second one's still not on Netflix, but I've watched the first one a bunch of times on there. Waiting yeah. for that second one. Pop up. If you're not familiar with John Wick, the first one is a super simple story. Keanu Reeves yep. plays a retired assassin, and his wife has recently died 
to illness. So, but she left him a dog. She acquired a dog and left it for him. And he treasures this dog. And then he meets some Russian thugs who want his car. He tells them to go to hell. And then they track him down at his home, beat him up, kill his dog. So in return, John Wick kills everyone. Yep. It's just pure revenge. Yep. For the dog, and it was amazing. And it's the the fun of it is the action scenes where it's these close quarter fighting where he's it's just like headshots from two feet away and it, and fighting and all this sort of stuff. And Keanu Reeves is just very good at this. Like these movies play into that guy's strong suit, and that's it. It's like let's get him to talk as little as possible. Yep, and very short. Staccato type sentences, which he can do very well, yep. and it's effective. And then, and the fighting, which he's very good at. Like you've seen that YouTube video of him on the practice range or whatever, yep. just knocking down targets after targets. Yeah. So, and it's just it's it's very thrilling. It's highly choreographed, and it's just like it's a ballet of violence. Each one of these movies, and there's no reason to think this third one's any different. And if they make like five of these and they're all great, this thing seriously jumps into the conversation for best action franchise ever, along with Die Hard and Mission Impossible for me. I agree too and I think the thing that made that first John Wick so great on top of everything else that you described is the 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 extended camera shots like they would there it's not a born movie where it was edit 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 yeah. edit edit there is one scene where he kills like 11 guys in one shot because yeah. they just hold the camera and let it play out yeah. so that was refreshing because we're not used to seeing that from North American action films exactly yeah it's not trick photography it's the actors are forced to learn all the tricks yeah so it's super themselves. good yeah. I, I need to go back and watch that second one again because I liked it but I, I just found it kind of overwhelming it's and I think maybe it's because I loved the Simplicity of the first one, so I think, much. yeah, it's that's a let's call that diehard syndrome where the first one is just so basic but so perfectly executed, and then for the subsequent sequels, they just they just make it too complicated. It doesn't need to be that complicated. The complications of this world of assassins is not why we enjoyed the first one, yeah. And, and I sort of it was be careful what you wish for because I remember after talking about that first one, I said, I want to learn more about this world of assassins, <laughs> but it just turns out that this world of assassins is so huge, it's almost it's bordering on ridiculous. Yeah, and they've got their all their rules and stuff and their own money and blah, 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 blah. And uh, half of these fights taking place in public, but nobody seems... Like, if you... If one of these... The fight he has with Common, if that happened in public anywhere, it would be a legendary story worldwide for decades. Yeah. It would be like the gunfight at the OK Corral. It would have easily have achieved that level of, you know, infamy. But no, it's just people just carrying on with their days while people are getting shot all around them. It's exciting for Keanu, though. I mean, when John Wick came out in 2014, it was, uh, I believe it came out in October. It was a very modest hit. It made $43 million in North America, and it made a worldwide total of, I think, $89 million. I've just got it in front of me here. Yeah, one and second. he was so far on the back burner. Like, no one was thinking of Keanu. If you thought of him, you were thinking straight to video and stuff like that. Yeah, $88 million worldwide. So the second movie ended up with $170 one million dollars worldwide doubling that and i'm happy for him and as you pointed out in the the video of his practice range he takes this stuff seriously the guy works hard and from all accounts everything you hear he's just a genuine nice guy 
Yeah, he and he's not, I mean, I don't doubt that he has a really nice house and some nice cars or something like that, but I don't think he's like a pig with his money because all you hear is about how he quietly donates like most of his money. Yeah. He, he, he lives shares comfortably it with the crew. Just, yeah, shares it with the crew or he donates it anonymously to charity, like millions and millions of dollars. And how can you not like Keanu Reeves? More to like about that guy every time you hear something about him. We got about a minute left here. Let's just plow through the list for uh, home video stuff or what's coming to digital HD. Tell me. What makes Queen any different from all of the other wannabe rock stars? We're four misfits who don't belong together, playing for other misfits. For the outcasts, we're pretty sure they don't belong either. Queen belongs to them. Bohemian Rhapsody on Tuesday, of course, nominated for a bunch of awards. So I haven't seen it, so I'm excited to see it. Dr. Seuss is the Grinch also in there. The Girl in the Spider's Web. The Sister's Brother, which is a Western starring Joaquin Phoenix and John C. Riley, Based on a Canadian book. And apparently pretty good. Widows with Viola Davis and The Wife starring Glenn Close. She's getting awards nominations and wins, racking them up as well. And on Blu-ray, uh, Ryan Gosling as First Man, the Neil Armstrong biopic. And Rowan Atkinson as Johnny English strikes again. Up next, I'm going to tell you about the new show that I've been watching on Netflix that is a contender for top 10 for 2019 and we'll break down the latest season of True Detective. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry, Jeff Braun, we are The Couch Potatoes. HBO brought back a show that was sort of thought dead and now apparently not. What is it? It's True Detective. Well, Detective Hayes, could you tell us your timeline of events? Two kids, supposed to be home by 5.30, never arrived. Almost had a clean night, man. My job, there's no certainty. My whole brain's a bunch of missing pieces. Whatever you think you did or didn't do, you don't deserve to suffer. I want to know the whole story. Two episodes debuted last Sunday on HBO. What did you think? I really enjoyed it. Uh, just brief synopsis. Mahershala Ali and Stephen Dorff play these cops in 1980 investigating the disappearance of two children. And so that's the one timeline. That's the main investigative timeline. Then 10 years later, 1990, Mahershala Ali is being interviewed by some other cops about the investigation 10 years earlier. And then in 2015, old Mahershala Ali is being interviewed by a true crime TV journalist type lady about the investigation again from 1980 and 1990. And that guy's got memory problems as an old man. And he's doing some of the narrating because you can tell in these other timelines, they start mouthing the words that he's speaking and that sort of thing. So it's really a thing of... While there's also there's three separate timelines and stuff is collapsing on each other, you also don't know how much you can actually rely on because this guy's memory might not be a hundred percent, and it's like the usual suspects where it's like, is this actually what happened, or is this just this guy telling a story? So I think there's a, we're in for a store for a lot of fun like that. But so far, I've I've just been just enraptured by the whole thing. I love these first two episodes. I couldn't get enough of it, and I was just it's. It was a lot of stuff to pay attention to and think of, but it wasn't so overly complicated that it was getting a headache or that it was frustrating me or anything like that. It's easy enough to follow along, but there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, I liked the fact that it had three timelines. It was ambitious, and I thought, ooh, this could get 
complicated, but it's not complicated. And hearing you describe it, I had never even thought of the fact that what we're seeing from 1990 and seeing from 1980 is stuff that's being recounted by 2015. So, yeah, yeah, who knows how much of that stuff is accurate or like what happened versus what he is remembering. What I liked about it, I mean, Mahershala Ali, my first exposure to this actor was in... Luke Cage. Luke Cage. He was Cottonmouth in that, and I loved... He was the best part of season one of Luke Cage, and I hated it once his character exited halfway through the season and they went a completely different direction. He was so charismatic, and he's just just got such a great voice. He's got this deep voice that's just kind of like hypnotizing uh, because he in this he has a very calm gentle demeanor so I like that I love Mahershala Ali and I gotta say it's cool to see Stephen Dorff that's what that blew my mind because I saw his name in the credits and because we've probably been over this on the show like the season three would start that he would be in it but I just wasn't it wasn't thinking of it wasn't on my radar and then I saw it in the opening credits and then as you know I pictured 25 years ago, Stephen Dorff. Yeah. And now 50-year-old Stephen Dorff pops up and it's like, oh. Is that how old he is? I don't know. But he's got to be. He's older than us. Yeah. So. Well, let's find out. How old is... But but it was still him, and he was and he was really good. He's very good in this. Forty five years old, but yeah, it was weird. It was kind of jarring seeing older Stephen Dorff. Now, granted, he had a you know he has hair. He's wearing a wig or whatever. Yeah, and it's nineteen and he's clearly you know they've both these guys. You know, it's been a rough life for these guys, so they're aging up a little bit. I think. Yeah, he does look rough <clears throat> in this, but I was I remember Stephen Dorff from Blade, where he was a young man, or even before that, Judgment Night. So everything that I had previously seen Stephen Dorff, and he was a young guy. <laughs> So it was jarring, but it was cool to see him in this, and I liked his character, and I enjoyed the ominous, grim tone of this. It had some really yep. beautiful cinematography, for really? too. There's a scene where they're walking through the field looking for these kids at night, and the moonlight is shining on them, and there's a fog sort of rolling across, and it was just, it was like, almost put me in a trance. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it very much has the same feel of the first season of season one, but uh, a couple of things about it as well. And I read one review that said it's everything you like and hate about <laughs> True Detective. Some of the the themes still about the, Nick Pizzolatto seems to his theme seems to be masculinity. Yeah, right? like right down to their names. Like his name is Wayne, like John Wayne. <laughs> For example, it's not he's not John Wayne, but overall I very much enjoyed it. And it's helping me to forget season two, which I think I, I liked what they tried to do with season two, but it was so badly executed with some of the worst dialogue in the history of anything. Really? I never saw it, so wow. and and every now and then I'm like, Well, I should catch up and then you always say, Don't bother. It's terrible. <laughs> I don't I do like uh, apparently like how much of a deep dive do you do in this stuff? Because you can read there's blogs and podcasts and stuff. Like, you can just go so deep into this. I listened to an hour's worth of podcasts already about it. Wow. Where they just take it, like, they look at the titles of the books or that poem that the teacher read and how it relates back to all these te- uh, these writers from hundreds of years ago that were brought up in the first series with the Yellow King and the yeah. blah, 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 all that business. Like, so it's it's like two different levels. Like, you can just enjoy this as a plain cop mystery which is what I'm more prone to do, I think. Or you can deep dive into all, all this Carcosa business and get really, really, really into it. Well, and that, that 
I like that component, and I like when writers are able to slide that stuff in where they're essentially telling two stories. They're telling the surface story, which is a great story for those who just want a simple story. Yep. Like a perfect example is The Matrix. Yeah, yeah. The Matrix is just a cool action sci-fi adventure. But under the surface, there's all the philosophy stuff, and there's all kinds of symbolism and things that you could pick up on if you were smarter than, like, somebody who was much <laughs> smarter than me would be able to pick up on that. But I didn't learn about any of that stuff until I read up on it. Sequels aside, yeah. where they went way overboard on that stuff. But there's a lot of things hidden beneath. So I like that they add these elements to True Detective for those who really want to get into it and get into the mythology. And it can also help to uh, even come to a greater understanding of the characters yeah. and what's happening. And there's a, well, there's one thing I don't know if it'll if it's, it can't be coincidence. I don't know that it'll turn out to be anything. The color purple pops up a lot. His nickname is Purple Haze. That VW was purple, oh, yeah. and there was something else that where they said purple or showed purple or something. And I was already, I was like, "Wow, what's with all the purples?" So I don't know if that'll be a thing or if that's just there for just to put something there. <laughs> well, the color purple means a whole bunch of things. It's yeah. the color of uh, royalty, for example, nobility, Yellow luxury. King. Power, ambition, uh, it also represents meanings of war. I'm reading this off of the first Google thing that I found here. Uh, extravagance, creativity, wisdom, mystery, grandeur, devotion, the list goes on, and magic. Oh. Maybe he's a wizard. It always seems like they're just about to delve into something very supernatural, and then they just don't, so we'll see. So that is True Detective, which is now on Sundays on HBO. And up next, I'm going to tell you about a new show that I have been watching on Netflix, which I just adore so far. I've only watched three episodes, but you better believe that I will be finishing the last five very soon. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry, Jeff Ron, we are The Couch Potatoes. Just finished having a chat about True Detective, HBO launching season three last week. The first two episodes debuted, and I started watching a new show that debuted on Netflix just this past week. It dropped on January 11th. It's a British comedy called Sex Education. Oh, I wish my mom was a sex guru. So, why don't you start by telling me your earliest memory of your scrotum? Trust me, you don't. No, I love you so bad. This is a new frontier, my sexually repressed friend. Our chance to finally move up the social food chain. I love you so bad. I'm worried about you, man. Everybody's either thinking about shagging, about to shag, or actually shagging. The students at the school need your help, and we need their money. I'll deal with the business and things, and you can do the therapy. Therapy? Yeah, sex therapy. Like your mum. Ah, sex therapist. This could be awesome. It could be popular. First thing worth pointing out, I think, about this show is it's kind of weird because it's shot in Wales, believe it's set in England, but it feels more like an American show. Like, for example, some students are seen throwing around an American football That's weird. in the hallways. And but they that, all got accents. Yeah. Huh. But that, so it's not meant to be an American show, but it was apparently by design to add more American elements to it. They wanted to give it a more American feel, so their international programming would be more appealing to Americans. That's so weird. They figured that the British people who noticed those little changes wouldn't really care, and the Americans would just enjoy more. So in other words, some people will notice the smarter people over in England, well... Dumb Americans? Is that what Netflix <laughs> is saying? So. Anyway, I'm not sure how I feel about that because I like 
being exposed to programming from elsewhere in the world because it is different. Yeah. Like, I've, I've long espoused the virtues of that show Trapped, which is from Iceland. Right. Or Still on my list. Last week I told you about a show I watched from Turkey, The Protector. And it's just all kinds of scenery that I've never seen in any television show or movie. And if two characters are walking down the street and they pass some kids playing hockey, does that change your enjoyment of that show whatsoever? No, it doesn't. It's such a weird detail. I know. So (laughs) I think that's a silly thing. But it's still a British show, and the dialogue, as a result, is often way sharper than what you would be used to. And maybe not necessarily because of the words they choose, but just the delivery. It's just fun seeing a British show and the way, like you heard them say the word shagging. So the the slang is different. So I, I enjoy that. I've only watched three episodes so far. Just started watching it this week, and I love it. I've said it a couple times already this episode, early contender for a top 10 show for 2019. As you heard, it's about an awkward kid named Otis. His mom is a sex therapist. The mom is Gillian Anderson, by the way, a.k.a. Agent Scully from the X-Files. The kid, Otis, is Asa Butterfield, 22-year-old actor who's been acting since he was like eight years old, appearing in things like Son of Rambo, spelled R-A-M-B-O-W. I always wanted to see that. Hugo. Did you ever see that? Yeah, Hugo's. That's not bad. I wish I saw that in theaters. I heard the 3D was tremendous. Ender's Game, The Space Between Us, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, and many more films. He's a very accomplished young actor. It's got a beautiful setting. Otis and his mom live in this gorgeous house on a hillside surrounded by trees. And then Otis and his buddy Eric ride to school on their bike. And they they, through the hills and stuff. And they, they go to school. And there's just gigantic old building. It looks really cool. So the setting, I love the setting. And another thing that was kind of confusing about this, it feels very 80s. Like the music is mostly 80s. And one of the scenes when the kids get to school these other students pull up in what appears to be a car from the 80s and they're all dressed like they're in the 1980s. So for like 15 minutes I thought, is this show set in the 80s? Because I haven't seen Anything to indicate otherwise. And then somebody makes a reference to Pornhub. So I'm like, oh, this is clearly... No internet in the 80s. Because another thing they're doing in this is they're throwing notes at each other in class. No one's got a a cell phone. Kids aren't allowed to keep their phones out in class, Brett. I know. I know. But I just found it peculiar that they went went out of their way to make it feel like it was set in the 1980s, only to reveal that it's in 2018. But that was also part of the design by the creative team. They wanted it to feel like something John Hughes might have made, a.k.a. The Breakfast Club. I just, I really enjoyed it. Great characters. Eric in particular, I think, is amazing. He is hilarious. The actor who plays him brings such a great energy. And while the main story is about Otis and his mom being a sex therapist and how he's kind of adopted these skills and is now going to help students in school with that, it's a very much a coming-of-age story for all of these characters. And not just the students, but the parents as well. They're slowly revealing some stories for the, the, the parents. His mom clearly has intimacy issues that she's dealing with. The headmaster has some issues that he's dealing with. But Eric, I'm, I want to see where his story goes because he's gay, he's openly gay, but 
it doesn't appear that his family is supportive of him. So I want to see what happens with him. And yeah, I love this. I just, I can't endorse it enough because it's very heartfelt, super awkward, like painfully awkward at times. And it brings back some bad memories. I think we all have memories from when we were students and yep. in high school and how it sucked at times. But at the same time, I think these kids, these young actors bring a lot of honesty to it that we might not have seen that you certainly wouldn't see, I think, on network television. And I love it. Sex Education. It is new on Netflix. You, meanwhile, have been uh, plowing through one of your favorite shows of all time. Yeah, you know what? Um, Let's see what I've got my notes here. I got a great deal on the DVD box set. Not the Blu-ray, mind you, which is not even a physical item in this world, which that's a gripe for another time. But I got the DVD box set of Parks and Rec, and I started the rewatch last week. You ready to rock this profile? All right. Yellow-haired female likes... Waffles and news. Sexy, well-read blonde loves the sweeter things in life. Much better. Hobbies. Organizing my agenda. Wait, that doesn't sound fun. Um, Jamming on my planner. Favorite place. Upstairs, there's this mural of wildflowers, and I like to sit on a bench in front of it. Really? It could be anywhere in the world. Paris, Hawaii, the Grand Canyon. Nope, just the bench in front of the mural. What about like an actual meadow where wildflowers are? Ew, Anne, I'm scared of bees. Mural! Amy Poehler, no one better. I'm on season four in about a week and a half. I mean, the first season's only six episodes, and season three is only... 13 episodes or something like that. They had a bunch of weird sized seasons. There's seven seasons total for 125 episodes, so by this time next week I'll probably be done. Uh, And it's still great. I think Seinfeld will always be number one for me, but I really feel like Parks and Rec will be number two. Number two? Of sitcom ones. Ahead of The Office. Yeah, yeah. Just because Parks and Rec is solid all the way through. Oh, yeah. The Office had some shaky business at the end there, so. I do regret. Parks and Rec is one of those shows that I regret. I think my main one, especially after listening to you. Drone on and on and on about it for uh, seven seasons? I wouldn't say drone on, but (laughs) The Americans. Oh, yeah. That's a regret because, but I I don't think it was my fault. I'm positive I set a recording because I remember seeing the commercial on FX thinking, yep, that looks cool. I should record that. And I did, and it didn't record. And FX often is on once. And you miss it, you're done. That's it. No opportunity to rewatch it. So I said, okay, I guess I'm not watching The Americans. Yeah, and that was one that had to be from the beginning because it, it was just all one giant story. And with even with Parks and Rec, and I realize it's easier to get back into comedies and they often have reruns and you can watch it yeah. later. But I I don't like to, to jump into a show halfway through. I did that with Lost. And I had That's to a hard a, one. Yeah, season that. three, I had to do a lot of catch up on that. So I just try not to, but I wish that I had started watching Parks and Rec because so many people I know adore that show. Maybe one day. Maybe. Oh, come on. As if. The list never gets shorter, Brett. It only gets longer. Yeah, you're right. We, we are we are through the looking glass. There's gone are the days where it's like, I'm going to go back and catch up on that because you'll just be left so far behind. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Subscribe to the podcast. You can get it anywhere you find podcasts. And remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.